0: And not only am I delighted that they are a part of our staff, I'm also delighted that Sister Magina and I I can call them our friends. They have become ever so special to us as we labor and endeavor in this ministry together. And let me say this at the forefront of what I'm about to do. There is no way that we could ever repay this lovely couple for the contributions that they have made to this ministry and to this church family. You just cannot do it. And the gift that I'm about to present to them, if I can get it out, is just a small token of our love and appreciation for them as they celebrate tomorrow 25 years of marriage. So, Brother David, Sister Ruthie, would you come up here for just a moment? Love you, tell. Love you, Sister Ruthie. God bless you. On behalf of High Point Church and all the church family, we just give to you and share with you this gift of our appreciation and our love for who you are and for being our friends. God bless you. Give them a good round of applause. 25 years, that's, that's a milestone in one's life. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, brother and sister, brother Dave and sister Ruthie Goldsberry, for all the years of dedication and service you have given here at High Point Church. We just love and appreciate these folks. Doesn't, uh, don't they do a fine job? I. There's so much they do behind the scenes that you don't see. I couldn't take the time here today to begin to express all of them to you. But we love and appreciate them so much and we wish them all of the best. 25 more and beyond. And, uh, I'm sure God will richly bless them. Praise the Lord. With that said, I invite your attention, if you would stand once again to the 18th or the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. Look at your neighbor and ask them, how well do you know God? Now don't trap yourself. How well do you think you really know God? How well do you know God? Beginning with verse number 22 in the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. Then Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus, which is Mars Hill, and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are, too, as the King James says, too superstitious, or as my new King James says, too religious. I thought that shock some of you. I perceive that you are very religious, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us how well do you know God for in him we live and move and have our being as some of your own poets have said for we are also his Offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something shaped by art and man's devising. Shall we bow our heads together in prayer? Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your presence, for your glory, and for your power. I thank you for what we have heard and experienced and seen here among us already this day as we come to this portion of this service to the ministry of your word i ask you to anoint these lips anoint my mind that i might oh god give to this congregation the word as you have given it to me and lord anoint each one of us to receive and we'll give you the praise and the thanks for it all it is in jesus name we do ask it today and everyone said in jesus name Shake hands with somebody by you one more time and ask them once again, How well do you know God? Hallelujah. Without, and you may be seated, without getting into all of the details that led up to where we have just read in your hearing this morning, we find that in Paul's second missionary journey, with Silas and Timothy accompanying him along the way. Actually, Timothy didn't join them until Paul reached Troas, and there Timothy joined up with him and Silas, and they continued on in what they described as his second missionary journey, and through a series of unusual events, uh, passing through uh, Amphipolis and then on to Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, Paul... And the ministry run into some problems there with some of the envious Jews and those who when they seen many of the Greeks and those believing the word that Paul and Silas and Timothy were preaching, they were enraged with jealousy and anger and they got a group of folks to come together. This went down to the open marketplace and got a bunch of thugs and got them all together and just incited a riot. This got folks together, didn't know what they was protesting, just got them in there and got them to protest what Paul and Silas and Timothy we're preaching there in the city and through this series of events, they send Paul, they get them over to Berea and then from Berea they get on over into Athens through a series of events that takes them to this place. And the one thing that is, I want to point out in this aspect was that when Paul, When Paul left uh, Berea, it was what happened. They went to Berea and the folks at Berea were just receiving the word and there was revival left and right. I mean, folks were coming to the knowledge of the truth. But when the folks see these two villages, Berea and Thessalonica, weren't very far apart. And when the same bunch from Thessalonica heard that there was revival in Berea and God was blessing and folks were coming to the knowledge of God, and they got this group together and they went over to Berea. They weren't satisfied with a riot in their own town. They go over to Berea and they stir things up over there. So in an effort to keep Paul out of harm's way and to keep him safe, they sent Paul on to Athens and got him out of there. They sent, a, they sent a entourage with him to protect him and they got him down to Athens and then Paul sent word back through this entourage to tell Timothy and Silas as soon as they could to get out of Berea and come on down to Athens and meet him there. Now, why Paul is at Athens, and Paul's not going to give up preaching the gospel, he's not going to he begins to observe some things that troubles his spirit. He begins to notice there's statues here to this God, and there's statues over here to that God, and there's idols to this one, and there's idols to that one, and he's looking around the city and he's he's going about. But one thing Paul did, and as he always did, he finds a Jewish synagogue. And he goes into this Jewish synagogue and he begins to ask them and some, perhaps some penetrating questions. Perhaps as he did in Acts chapter 19, he would go in and he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they would probably look at him rather puzzled and no, I don't know what you're talking about. And of course that would open the doors. It did in the chapter, in 19th chapter of the book of Acts and what to you were, then unto what were you baptized? And he would begin to reason with them and begin to discuss with them the word of God. Amen. And he'd done this for several days and he reasoned with us in, in the synagogue, it says, with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers. And, and he would go down to the marketplace and there in the open marketplace where folks were in to buy and sell and trade. He would go in there and he would approach some folks and begin to talk to them about Jesus. He wasn't bashful. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He would just go in and walk up to them and begin to, uh, in, in, in a very polite, I mean he wasn't a, a rude man by any means, by any stretch of the imagination, but he would just go in and somehow stir up a conversation with them and begin to talk to them about the things of the Lord. And he was in the open marketplace and he would found some folks there that he could talk to and begin to speak to them and they see, begin to feel a little bit of receptivity on their part, but... In the meantime, there had been some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers that had begun to overhear some of the things Paul was telling them. And it sparked their interest, and then they got to listening to Paul as Paul was talking to these folks about Jesus Christ, and about how he resurrected from the dead, and how he was the Lord of glory, and how he was the one that would save them. And they come to Paul and said, you know, what is it that this babbler wants to say? And they accused him of being a babbler or wanted to just, you know, ramble on and, and really wasn't talking about anything that made sense to them. But they did acknowledge that he seemed to be a proclaimer of, of foreign gods. So, as he would talk about Jesus Christ and the resurrection, they come to this conclusion. So they thought this being interestingly enough. Now, understand that in Athens, Greece was a place there, this place called Mars Hill, where nothing but these stoic and Epicurean philosophers would get together and they would philosophize. I didn't say fossilize, Now I said philosophize. They would philosophize. Well, they probably fossilize too, but that's beside the point. That's another time. They would philosophize. They would just talk about things in theory that might seem good, whether it be true, false, indifferent. They would just philosophize. One would have this theory about one thing, one would have a theory about another. And all they'd done was spent their days exchanging ideas and theories, whether it made any sense or not, or whether it had any legitimate meaning. So they invited Paul. As you might know, he accepted the invitation to come out there to Mars Hill and to converse with them about this man called Jesus and about this message that he was proclaiming. But one thing Paul brought to their attention, he said, you know... As I was observing your devotions and your worship and all of your idols and the things out here that, that I see you uh, uh, worshiping, he said, I, I perceive that in all things you, you're very religious, or you are very superstitious, if you will.
1: <laughs>
0: he said, for I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, and I even found an altar with this inscription, not only did I see all of these idols to these other gods and these gods that you have named that you recognize, but I've seen here an altar with this inscription that says, to the unknown God. If there's a God out there that they didn't know, they certainly didn't want to leave him out of the circuit of those who they exalted and they, wor- they lifted up and, and they worshiped as their God. But Paul said this, therefore the one whom you worship without knowing, he said, I proclaim to you this Jesus Christ and this resurrection is the God that I proclaim to you who you worship as the unknown God. Now before I continue on, let me point out the fact that Paul says some very profound and very powerful, makes some very powerful statements here as it relates to God, our relationship to God and how well we know God. He says to them, God who made the world and everything that is in it since He is Lord of heaven and earth, He said, you need to understand that He does not dwell in temples made with hands. All of these buildings and all of these artifacts and all of these things that you have built to these gods, it does nothing for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because He does not dwell in those things. And He said, one other thing I want to point out to you 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 folks here at Athens, is that nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life and breath and all things. He so said he doesn't need our hands to worship him. He doesn't need all of these things as, as though we might surmise seeing that he gives life and breath to every living creature. You take God out of the equation and friend, we are in trouble. You take God out of the world, and it'll snuff the life out of the world in a heartbeat. Those who think that God doesn't exist, i got a news bulletin for them. You take Him out of the equation, and friend, there will be no life. And I'm going to prove that to you biblically in just a moment. But Paul continues on to tell them, And He has made from one blood, or from from one, from one set of individuals, every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and not only this, He has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. In other words, Paul says, this God knows the beginning from the end. Not only does He know the beginning from the end for all creation, but He knows the beginning from the end for every individual. Amen. How well do you know God? How well do you really know God whom we worship and whom we serve? And then he says to this to them and brings us to the real, real pinnacle of a thought that he wanted to leave with them. And he says, so, you know, in all of this, he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. Why? So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Hallelujah. He said he's not far from each one of us. For he says this, For in him we live, we move, and we have our being. Amen. For in him we live, and we move, and we have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, We are, we are also his offspring. He said, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. He said, understanding that we are the offspring of God, we need to understand that if He has created us in His image, that the divine nature is not like gold. It's not like this golden statue I see over here. It's not like this golden article I see over here. It's not like any of these things that you have portrayed in worship to God. He's not like any of those things. The divine nature is not like gold or silver. Something shaped by the art, by art and man's devising. Hallelujah. How well do we really know God? You see, to really get a grasp of who God is and what He is and what He means to us, we must embrace the very idea and the very thought as Jesus had the dialogue In chapter 3 of the Gospel according to John, with the Samaritan woman at the well, he in fact, in his conversation with her, said this to her, he said, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now please understand this, to really know God and all that He is. And what He means, first of all, God, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost are all one and the same. That's what the Bible says. They are all, He said, God is Spirit. He told the woman there at the well, He said, One thing we need to understand as it relates to worship, and that is God is spirit, and they and those who worship him must worship him. How? In spirit. We can't worship him by erecting some kind of object with the name of Jesus on it, or with God's name on it, and say, This is our that, that's not where he's worshiped at. But God is spirit, and those of us who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Something I noticed the other day as I was reading, and I have read it hundreds and hundreds of times, I dare say how many times I've read it, and it just didn't jump up on me like it did in this particular time as I was considering these thoughts for this uh, idea that I'm presenting to you this morning. that is Genesis chapter 1. I was reading there, and in the beginning it says, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen. That should not come a surprise to any of us here in this room today that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over on the face of the deep And It said that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of all of the waters. This Spirit, this God that we really desperately need to know enveloped Himself about this unformed earth the sphere that was without form and without void, and it was covered with nothing but water, the Spirit of God enveloped itself around the earth and began its creative work. How well do you know God? It began its creative work, and it goes on to explain to us and point out how that God said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, Separate the waters from the earth and the separation came. And all the elements that transpired during the creation. But God's spirit just enveloped himself. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, God if you will. Just enveloped himself. Wrapped around the earth. Hovered all around the earth. Wrapped it like a blanket and began to work. Oh God, how we need to allow him to just envelop himself around our lives. And allow him to work. His creative power is still real today. Paul said it this day: For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are still the workmanship, and we are still the object of God, enveloping us and surrounding us and wrapping His presence around us and doing great things in and through us. Amen. How well do you really know God Is He just... An object of worship that you acknowledge—is He truly the God? Do you understand that He fills the universe and He's He's everywhere? Hallelujah! Let me slip over here to the one hundred and thirty-ninth chapter of the Book of Psalms. David, of all people—and and I don't say that in a disparaging way—but David, he had a knowledge of who God really was. He understood and he acknowledged God's presence and his power. In fact, he said it this way. He said, Lord, he he acknowledged God's power in this fact. He said, Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. He said, there's nothing secretive about my life, God, but what you don't know at all. There's nothing about me that you haven't searched. There's nothing about me that you haven't examined. He said, you know, he said, you have searched me and you have known me. He said, look, he said, you understand. He said, you know, every time I sit down, that's what he said, verse 2. He said, you know, every time I sit down, you know, every time I stand up. Hallelujah. He said, you know, my sitting down, my rising up, you understand my thoughts afar off. You know what I'm going to be thinking a week from this very moment. You, you, you know, a month, two months, you know my thoughts before I ever can think them. How well do you really know God? He said, you know my thoughts. You know everything there is about you. Comprehend my path and you comprehend, and you comprehend my lying down. You know the course that my life is going to take. You know the very day that you have established that I will take my last breath and I will lie down in death. David said, you know all of this about me. You know when I get up. You know when I sit down. You know what I'm thinking. You know what I'm thinking a week out. You know what I'm thinking a month out. You know my beginnings. You know the course of my life. You know how many days you have appointed unto me to live. You know when my day is you've determined that I shall take my last breath. Amen. Amen. How well do we really know God? We've come in here this morning and we're singing these songs to God and worshiping Him as we should. And and and, and how well do we really know that He is in this place? We, we don't have to somehow stir Him up and call Him down. We don't have to somehow bring Him up to our attention. We need to understand that He's everywhere. He knows everything. He knows the very thoughts and the intents of our heart, I believe the Bible tells us, does it not? He goes on to say, He said, You're acquainted with all my ways. He knows our good days. He knows when we're honorary. He knows when you're going to be honorary before you ever are. He knows our comings and our goings. He's, he, he knows every aspect of our life. He said, you know, David said, there's not a word that comes off of my tongue that you don't know it before I say it. Amen. It's right there, folks. You before, and he said, listen. said, for there is not a word from my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind, and before you've put a protection before me, and you have put a protection behind me. And uh, He said, you, you're all about me. And, you, and he said, you have laid your hand upon me. David, recognizing this, he said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. He said, to know this just blows me away. If I may use modern vernacular. To know this is just too awesome to comprehend. It's, as they say today, it's just way cool. It's just way cool to know that he knows all of these things about me. I, I'm, I'm a one, one person among billions and he knows all of this stuff about me. That I'm one person among such a large number in creation that he knows all of this stuff about me. David goes on to say, when I stop and consider this, it's too wonderful for me, it is high. I just cannot, I just can't, oh boy. I just cannot attain it, it's just too marvelous. But notice what he says now about his knowledge and what he does know about God. He said, you know, where can he ask a couple, a two-part question? David says, "Hmm, in light of all this I understand, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence, David? Pondering and thinking about, oh, if this be the case? If God knows all of this stuff about me, where in the world could I go and hide from Him? Where, where in the world could I go and, and Him not find me? He said, "Where could I go and flee from your presence?" He said, "When I move this way, I..." Bump into you, and when I try to go this way, I, I bump into you, and when I go this way, I bump into you, and do this, I bump into you. He's, where can I go? He described it this way. He said, if I ascend into the heavens, he said, oh, you're there. If I get in that 747 and go to 45,000 feet, lo and behold, I look around, and there you are. If I move in that seat in that airplane just a little bit, I'm bumping into you. If I make my bed in hell, or sheol, which is also another word they use for grave, he said, if I go there, he said, you're there. If I go up, you're there. If I go down, you're there. If I go hide in the center of the earth, you're there. He said, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, if I just get out on my boat tomorrow and... Just pointed out east, headed out across the Atlantic and just let that thing go till it runs out of fuel and drift out there somewhere in the middle of no man's land. He said, I turn around and there you are. Where can I go? Out in the middle of the depths of the sea. He said, if I would dive into the Atlantic Ocean and go as deep as depths would allow me to go or if I would go there, he said, I look and you are there. That's what he said right there. He said, if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even your hand shall lead me. David understood that wherever we are, God is there. I can look around this building and I can look all over and know that God is here. If we go this way or that way or we move one, one inch in any direction, God is there. We don't have to move at all and God is there. I can go back into all the various places of this sanctuary of the of the Fellowship hall. I can go out into the parking lot and God is there. When I get in my vehicle after a while to go home, God is there. When I get home, God is there. When I get up in the morning and I go to my office to start my weekly routine for work, I found God will be there. He'll be there in my office waiting on me to arrive. I will take Him with me when I go there in the morning. Hallelujah. How well do you really know God? Hallelujah. When we worship Him, do we really comprehend the fact that He's there all the time? We don't have to wait for a particular portion of the service for God to make His entrance. He's already here. We don't have to wait to a particular time at any given moment to worship and to exalt him because God is here. Now I know there are those who have somehow identified the presence of God by a lot of emotionalism. I, I can't, I can't leave this subject without hitting on this. Now I will tell you that the presence of God and his moving and working will change you. It will bring about in you a passion and an anointing that you have never experienced before in your life. It will move you like nothing else has ever moved you. But just because there's a lot of emotional activity does not constitute the the acknowledging the presence of God and doesn't mean God is there. Amen? We don't have to, what I'm saying is this, that we don't have to re, we don't have to think that we've got to get into an emotional frenzy to feel and to know and to exhibit the presence of God. Bishop Goldsberry and I some years ago used to attend fellowship meetings occasionally around the state and there's been times we've nudged each other and asked each other the question, am I really backslidden? Because these folks have gone nuts. I don't feel what they think they feel. <laughs> Amen? Doesn't mean that just because folks are emotional and they're all, exhibiting all of this praise and so forth does not mean that they have acknowledged and they really know who God is. David said, because I know if I move this way, He's there. If I go this way, He's there. If I turn here, He's there. It doesn't matter where I go. I find that my God is present. How well do we really know God? Are you looking for Him to come charging in here some Sunday morning and just flipping the pews upside down and and, and, and turning? That doesn't mean He can't. That doesn't mean He won't. That doesn't mean that you won't feel that emotion and that and that passion and that anointing as it changes you. But when God envelops us with His Spirit and He begins to work in our life, there will come about a change. Amen? David said, I know Him. I can't escape Him wherever I turn. He's there when I look this way. If I'd open this door and walk out into the parking lot, he'd be there. If y'all get down, look up under these pews a little bit, you'll find him there. Hallelujah. Paul said to the unknown God, "Whom you worship, him I declare unto you. In Jeremiah chapter 23... <clears throat> God's Spirit inhabits and fills the entire universe. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. The difference is on how we respond to His presence. That's where it's at. Hallelujah. Any given time of worship and praise. It's all predicated on how we respond to his presence. He's here every time. Whether it's a Tuesday morning prayer meeting. Whether it's tomorrow evening's Women of Royal Destiny. Whether it's Wednesday evening Bible study. Whether it's in your home in your prayer closet. Whether it's driving down the auto- highway in your automobile as you're pondering and thinking upon the Lord. He is there. He's everywhere. Hallelujah. Hallelujah as many of these men and women go about their daily jobs and their task, about whatever they do, whatever their vocation is, God is there. Hallelujah. He's everywhere. He fills the universe. I don't have to hunt Him down. I don't have to send a telegram to ask Him for an audience. He's there. Hallelujah. When I need something or I just want to Talk for a while. I don't have to make an appointment. He's there. Hallelujah. The Lord spoke through Jeremiah to Israel and his prophecy to them, and he said, God asked this question. He said, Am I a God near at hand? says the Lord, and not a God afar off. He said to Israel, When you needed me, I was there. But you didn't call on me. When when all you needed to do was just worship me, I was I was there all along. I've never been on a journey. I've never been a long way off. I've never been I've never deserted you. I have. He said, "Am I not a God? Am I not a God near at hand?" Says the Lord, "And not a God afar off." God goes on to ask, says this. He said, "Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him?" Is there anywhere that God says to to Israel through Jeremiah or to the world is there anywhere you can go and find a place to hide that you can hide from me Oh no 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 He says this He said do not I fill heaven and earth says the Lord Tell him Jeremiah do not I fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. So I ask you this morning, how well do you really know God? To know Him as David did and to recognize that He's not far from any one of us. But as Paul said, in Him we move and we live and we have our very being. If God would decide to remove His presence from the face of the earth... Every living creature on the earth would die. You say, preacher, that's being awful. Presumptuous on your part. No, no, no. I'm telling you what the Word says in Him. We move and we live and we have our very being. You got up this morning because He said we could take another breath. He woke up this morning and nodded us on the shoulder and said, Good morning, my child. Because God's presence is there. Every day that we're allowed to see the sunlight of another day, it's because He was gracious enough to nudge us one more time and say, yeah, I'm right here, you can get up. How well do you really know God? Friend, I ask you today, it's more than an experience. Quit seeking after an experience and seek after God. Amen? Knowing God is more than just having an experience related to the presence and power of God. It is seeking after God. It is knowing that when I come here to pray, He's right here. Amen. It's knowing that when we seek after God and His greater working and presence in our life, that He will do a work. We will become His workmanship. He will impart to us the presence and the power of His Holy Spirit in a way you've never known before. I've been in this a long time. And He just gets better and better and better. Hallelujah. As the musicians make their way forward today, to this morning, He said, God who made the world... And everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. If you are here today, I would encourage you to learn more and to know more and seek more after God. Hallelujah. I will tell you probably... Safe in saying this, that individually and collectively we are living far below our understanding and our spiritual means as it relates to God. Hallelujah. How have you responded to his presence today? I I hope I have convinced you that you can't move but what you bump into him. You can't breathe a breath of air but what you can't bump into him. You can't open your eyes to see the light of another day without the presence of God right there you, you can't know the joy and the emotions and the five senses that we possess without knowing God is right there he has given us the ability and his presence the sense to see and smell and taste and to know and to touch and to. How well do we really know God? You see, when I move and I know his presence, I, I feel him everywhere. His presence is all abounding and all around us. In the darkest of hours for you, friend, my God is there. In the best of times, God is there. In the worst of times, when it seems like all has just lost and gone, God is there. And He's waiting on you and I, as Paul did here, to acknowledge Him of the Creator of all heaven and earth. Lord, today as we are assembled together here, we acknowledge your presence and your creative power in this place. Hallelujah. When we sing these sweet songs of praise unto God, when we sing to him, I am standing on holy ground, we are acknowledging from our heart that Lord your presence fills this house hallelujah when we sing these songs of praise and we hear the word and as it was taught this morning in the Bible class we thank him and we acknowledge his presence that without him it could not be done we could not do what we do without his presence God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and to determine their preappointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord When was the last time? Oh, but preacher, I've been around this for a long time. I don't know. You need to seek the Lord. I seek Him every day. Every moment. Every hour. I recognize, Lord, I must seek after you. If you think because you were saved and proclaimed the infilling of the Holy Ghost 40 years ago that you could stop seeking after God, I've got a news bulletin for you. Paul said, David said, it's just so, just way too cool. He said, if I turn this way, you're there. If I go that way, you're there. If I get on my 747 and zoom out into the stars, those astronauts this morning are out there orbiting the earth in space on the space, the International Space Station. (laughs) Guess what? They can look out the window and God is there. In fact, I'll dare say the only reason that thing stays up there is because God is there. When that thing lifted off the ground and that enormous thing went, God was there. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying God advocates or has blessed the space program. I don't know anything about that. But what I do know, they couldn't go where they're going and not be in the presence of God. You could find the biggest black hole in the universe and go through it, and God is there. How well? How well do you know God?) Would you stand? My friend, if you're here today and you don't know, do not know Him through the indwelling and infilling of His Holy Spirit, I invite you to know and to acknowledge, to understand that God is here, to envelop you, to fill you, and to saturate your life with His Holy Presence—not just a brush, not just, not just a acquaintance of passing by but he wants to infiltrate every corner of your life with his presence whatever you need today whatever wherever you're at in your experience with him his presence today is inviting you to come and to receive him and to acknowledge him as the one who gives you life and breath in all things hallelujah if it's been a while since you have bathed in his glorious presence i just ask you today to open the corners of your heart and allow him to touch you with his wondrous and glorious presence as we sing one more time i ask you to consider how well do you really know god How well do we really know the Creator of all of the universe? Shall we sing it once again? In
1: this place, O Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome in this place, Holy Spirit. Thou art welcome in this place. Omnipotent Father of mercy and grace, Thou art welcome here. sing it one more time before we dismiss oh holy spirit thou art welcome in this place holy spirit thou art welcome in this place I need. Pertin father of mercy and grace thou art welcome in this
0: place. Hallelujah. I hope that this morning I have said something to challenge you to look just a little bit harder and a little more intently just how well you really know God. Paul said that I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection and in the fellowship of His suffering. Hallelujah. I want to know Him from every Perspective. I, I want to know him in the power that resurrected him from the grave. I want to know him in the fellowship that he had with Calvary. Hallelujah. 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 I may preach that next time. I don't know. I may know him. The power of his resurrection. Hallelujah. God bless you. Remember service tonight at 6 p.m. We invite you back tonight for another time of worship and praise as we lift up the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Brother Burrell, would you dismiss us in prayer this morning? At conclusion, you're dismissed in the name of the Lord.